0: Hello my friends, Father Sean O'Brien here. This is the beginning of a new little series here. Father Sean's podcast is going big now with a little series on, a little commentary on Genesis actually, commentary on the Bible. I figured that's a good place to start. And if I'm going to comment on the Bible, I might as well comment on where the Bible starts right there from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I mean, it's just so classic these days, and, you know, as the world is kind of dealing with what the heck does it mean to be human, well, there's no better place to look than where human beings were created, and we get the insight from that, from from uh, Genesis. So uh, I hope that you enjoy this today, and I hope that you will also tune in in the future for future podcast episodes on the... On other chapters of Genesis, and I might even just go all the way through the whole book of Genesis. Be a little bit of a project here, but uh, I certainly love the Bible, and I think it could be quite a beautiful and fruitful thing. So let us begin. I will call to mind the Lord's presence here. You know, He wrote the Bible. It'd be a bummer to read it without Him. So let us just ask for His His guidance, dear Lord Jesus. Send Your Holy Spirit. Through whom you wrote your word into the world, help us to to hear the word. Be fundamentally hearers of this gracious word. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So very good. Uh, The book of Genesis is right there at the beginning of the Bible, obviously. And there's the first line there. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. This is our translation that we typically have. There was the beginning, and then God created the heavens and the earth. Even, like, all translations have that. That's pretty unanimous. But at the same hand, uh, I think, uh, well, I don't think, I remember that my, my seminary professor, who is a total Hebrew guru, this was all written in Hebrew originally, and he was a Hebrew guru, and he simply made the observation that one could just as easily have translated this as a title, the beginning of the creation of the heavens and the earth by God. It could also have been um, translated as at the beginning of creation when the heavens and the earth first came to be, and then it would continue from there. So the question is, We have this attraction, this desire, this almost attachment to the translation that we currently have. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the reason why that is, is because we believe God created out of nothing. This is very clear from the biblical tradition. But at the same hand, it's not necessarily clear from the beginning of the Bible. So not only is there kind of the the ambiguity of multiple possible translations, and not all those translations are directly kind of intuiting uh, or leading us into this direct moment of creation, but there's also the very next line. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters." what the heck does that mean i can't tell you exactly very sorry but it does seem to allude to to a a a form a some kind of existence that did not have particular form in the ancient some of these ancient accounts of creation that are not christian they're very pagan but there is this kind of original chaos that the world came to be and it seems like maybe that the author of Genesis is drawing on just that narrative history. But we know very clearly that even though he might be drawing on this way of describing the creation account, it is not a teaching about that God created from some kind of immaterial chaos that was there, just didn't have form. That is very clear. And that's very clear because there's not a lot of indications. Through so much of the Old Testament that God created out of nothing, that is to say, ex nihilo, out of nothing, if you want the technical term for that, the Latin term for that, the reality is that when the Hebrew culture had this original confrontation and engagement with the Greek culture, then it needed to define what exactly there was a belief in. And we see this pattern all through history, even Uh, well after the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, when there's a particular teaching that is being questioned, well, revelation comes to, to the forefront to bring it to clarity, whether that's like in our situation here or whether it's like in the church. When something is debated, well, the church comes in and brings clarity, if at all possible. In our situation, once this was questioned by the Greek culture, which did not necessarily have a particular beginning of the universe. They just said, well, it was kind of always there. That's a pretty typical Greek belief in their philosophy. Well, that's when we start to have, in our wisdom literature, which was written in the Greek language originally, we begin to have this, these more clear statements that God created out of nothing. There was nothing before so however you define or interpret the second verse there, we def- we do not interpret to say it was created out of something. Rather, it's almost kind of like there was this waiting. It, the earth and existence was waiting in non-existence. It was ready to just kind of explode out upon the scene. And the Spirit of God was, m- was moving, kind of almost in this readiness to kind of pounce into action. Um, so... I don't have a particular good way to interpret that, but just a little bit of background. But the most beautiful part is that the Holy Spirit was there at this moment of creation. The Spirit of God was moving over the waters, which is just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. The third verse, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from... From the darkness, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. One day, one day, ding, ding, there it is, complete. Now, this is a very, very key interpretation here. Uh, not a key interpretation, but just a key pattern that we find repeated over through these six days of creation, over the seventh day of rest. So, there's a couple different things here. First off, there is a separation. God, well, before I even get to that, I want to talk about that God is creating not like the other, pe- uh, the other accounts of creation from pagan cultures. They would say, well, the world came to be by this, this birthing ha- uh, process. Like, no, that's not what's happening here. And other people would say it's kind of a crafting, where like a potter would craft a, a piece of clay into a pot. Well, it's clearly not happening here either. And then thirdly, there is this, this combat that sometimes happens. And from this cosmic battle, a, an existence, an earthly existence pops on out. But that's not what is happening here. The creation is happening through word. Through word. And through a very peaceful matching of word and action. And the matching of the words with the action produces the result of something that is good. Every day it is described as good. And that's very, very key to note. But let's focus just on the word. That this word that we hear, this word that is revealed, this creative word, is calm. There's no battle. There's no birthing. It's, it's just calm. And God words enters into history by creating history. And then there's this beautiful line that we hear again repeated in all of the days. God saw what he had made, and God saw that the light was good. Obviously, he's not saying light at that point, but whatever God made that day, he saw that it was good. Creation is good. There's a fundamental goodness there, and I want to come back to that later on here. But I really want to highlight that God is the word giver and a very peaceful word. A word that is very powerful nonetheless, but a word that is harmonious and causes the ordering of creation. It's a separation. It's a making of distinction. And from that that ordering of creation, it's almost kind of like a commanding of creation in that sense of ordering. But there's also a very literal ordering in this. But not only, and, and this, this comment on, on seeing and observing that it was good, it also gives it validity. What God created, God says, yes, this is good. I appreciate it. I prove it. I am sustaining this in being. And this, this sight of, of appreciation is a creative event as well. But again, kind of a conclusion on this reflection on God creating through the Word. God provides the Word, and creation has the fundamental relationship of receiving the Word, being ordered by the Word, being commanded by the Word, being obedient to the Word, in a very peaceful, simple way. And we that means that we are fundamentally hearers of the Word. And so as we counter the Word of God here in Genesis, well, that means that we are to be hearers of it, to be attuned to it. So as you listen to this commentary Whatever you do, don't you know, just listen to it, but let it bring you back to the Word of God so that you can read it in a very attentive way, to be a, really, a real deep hearer of the Word. The Word is spoken and addressed to you, as well as to me, as well as to all of creation, even the planets and the stars who don't have uh, any cognition. We have all been addressed into creation through spoken word. Which becomes very, very wonderfully significant in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, the Word, made flesh. So this ordering is is a command into being, but it's an also an ordering of establishing an order. So it's very beautiful how this is done. God creates in a very ordered way. the The word, word, uh, has a especially when it's translated in Greek, has an order sense to it. Logos, logos. Which is like a, the ordering of a specific science. For example, biology is the the understanding of the order of biology, et cetera, et cetera. And so, this word that is spoken, it does so in a very ordered way. And I'll, I'll kind of give you the layout of this. There is a four four parallels here, and the first side of the parallel, the first events of creation, are the separation. These are separations, and it's a creation of space. And then the second series of creation is the filling of that space in the same exact order. It's really a beautiful account when you look at it. So let's look at it um, just in parts here. The first separation or creation of space is light from darkness. The second is the firmament. God creates the firmament. Separating the waters above from the waters below, secondly or thirdly, it's the creation of the kind of the surface of the earth, so the separation of dry land from seas, and then on the fourth day, it's not really a a space or a separation, but it's the establishment of vegetation and then in the fourth, excuse me, and then as we go forward into this next series of creating. We see God fill the space in the same order in which He created the space. So, just as the light and the darkness were first separated, well, then the account goes to the creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. The sun and the moon and the stars, which fill that darkness and that light space above our heads. And then the second creation in this part of the series of filling the space. And we need to now fill the firmament, the water above from the water below. The water above is interpreted as sky generally. It's kind of this, this they thought that there was some kind of essence that held back this water way above people's heads. Uh, it's almost like a ceiling. And this, all, this space needs to be separated. And it's separated. So this is the sky above and the water below. And God now creates animals to fill it, He creates animals for the sky. And then he creates animals for the water. And he does this all together to kind of match that space that he created. The third element that he creates in order to fill space, the space is now the dry land of the seas, he now creates the animals of the land. And then the fourth account of creating and filling space is humanity. It kind of fills this this vegetation, which will be kind of a a deeper... uh, We'll be able to zoom in on that, because this vegetation is really a park, it's paradise, it's a garden. And humanity is to be the resident in this garden. My, I kind of laughed at my Hebrew, not my Hebrew teacher, but my Pentateuch teacher on the first five books of the Bible. He said, oh, look, humanity only ate grass and vegetation. They did not eat meat. And I kind of chuckled at him. I was like, ha, 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 that's very nice. But trust me, sir, we eat meat. But I will have to admit, like, looking at this a second time, like, it does seem more clear than I remember that God perhaps really (laughs) is. You know, this is kind of his original plan, that there there be this harmonious creation that man does not eat the animals, which is an act of violence. It's an act of permitted violence that we have today, but it's still an act of violence. And and, and my professor was just very focused on saying that, no, from the beginning... Everything was harmonious. Even the creatures themselves were harmonious with each other. Another way that this is a very ordered account is that there's this phrase that is repeated ten times. It is a word that God repeats ten times. And this is, and God said. We hear that ten times in this first chapter here. And God said. This is the original Decalogue. Decalogue meaning 10 words. Now, if you've heard Decalogue before, it's because we have the 10 words of moral life, the 10 commandments. And the Hebrew word is Decalogue for that. It's it's 10 words. And so there's this really beautiful parallel that there's this physical distinction in creation by God speaking creation into being. But then also there is this There are these moral distinctions that God is also speaking into existence, into human nature, so that though God used ten words to delineate the created order, he also has these ten words to delineate moral human living and how that is to be ordered. It's just a really beautiful parallel that all these gurus of the Bible have discovered over the years. It's just really incredible, such a deep and intense look at Scripture that we would just super pass over without a thought, without a thought. Also, these living creatures that God creates now. When God creates them, he says, go forth and multiply. He even says this to human beings, go forth and multiply. So as previously I said, God comments that or observes that all these things were good. There is also the unique autonomy. God observes that it's good. He appreciates it. And in that appreciation, he maintains its existence. But while maintaining its existence at one level, he gives a certain separation from himself. And he allows them to have some autonomy. They depend on God for their existence. We depend on God for their, our existence. But at the same hand, he does not control as a robot. He says, go forth and multiply. He doesn't say, I will take you forth and multiply you. He says, go forth and multiply. Be fruitful. And I think that's just beautiful. And this unique balance of God being the ultimate sustainer of existence, but then also being being separate from creation and allowing the created world to to move forward with some degree of autonomy on its own and but yet we still must maintain that god is the ultimate guide of creation and the way that we understand that god guides creation and this unique ordering from way above us as the creator governs creation we call this providence that god provides for every little bit of creation, and he guides everything that happens. Nothing, nothing, nothing happens without his knowing, without his, his. if not direct guidance, then at least his permission, as we see with all the evil that comes forth. After our sin. Boo to sin, but that's our reality. A little bit more reflection on the observation of the goodness of created Realm. This means that all things are good. All things are good. God did not bring into existence anything that was bad. This is very key. If it exists, it is good. Beer is good. Metal is good. Gold is good. Lions are good. Humans are good. Every human being is good. Heck, we could even say marijuana as a plant is good. We can see how all these things can be misused as instruments. We could see how beer and marijuana could be used for intoxication. Metal could be used to to kill other people with when we put, make it into a sword. Gold can be used to steal, to rob, to to uh, to extort other people. Lions, you know, we we can get et by lions, and it doesn't take a lot of imagination to realize that the goodness of a human being can be manipulated into, not manipulated, but can freely choose to do evil. But at the same hand, I really want to highlight that God created all things good. If it exists, it is automatically good. You don't have to question it. You don't have to think about it. It needs to be used in a way that gives honor and glory to God. All these things were directed towards us. Human beings are the summit of creation. You know, we're, we're created last in this order. You know, there's an order here, as I've continually said. And it turns out, in the narrative here, human beings are at the top of this order. But at the same hand, human beings are still oriented towards God, our purpose in life. I'm going to get into more of human, human existence in the next round in the next episode, but it's just very, very important to note that, uh, just real quick here, that human beings exist to know God, to love God, and to serve God, and the whole created realm is ordered towards human beings that we may use of the created order in order to fulfill our vocation, and to the extent, extent that it's helpful, we use it. To the extent that it is not, we do not use it. And because, especially after our fallen situation now, because we have a, a disorder, there's work to be done in order to regain our indifference towards all of these created realities. An indifference that is not neutral, but it's an indifference that's saying, I could do with or without as long as it glorifies God. Which takes a lot of work on our mortification end here to kill all these inclinations towards sin that we have because we have them <laughs> Oh so rough. Adam and Eve, you jerks, you, you did it to us and then we did it to ourselves because I am guilty for my own sin and I chose it. That's how it is. And I'm going to skip over a lot of the details regarding human life as I mentioned because I really want to deal with this in a separate, separate little course or a separate episode. But... Let's look at the seventh day, because the seventh day is part of the same narrative here, but at the same hand, it's it's not a creation. It's not an account of creation. It's part of the account of creation, but it's also not uh, a creative event. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all his work which he had done in creation. I have to admit, it wasn't until today that I realized that that is very repetitive. He is talking about the work that he had done, the work that he had done, the work that he had done, and the rest, and the rest, and the rest, and he did it on the seventh day, on the seventh day, and the seventh day. It's like, whoa, Jesus, or God, you're really, really focusing in on this, and you're highlighting this. And I believe it's because God is established I'll probably talk about this the next episode, but God is establishing a a divine model for us, human beings, to follow that we work and we need to rest. It is a divine action to rest and to have leisure and to recreate, recreate. You hear that word there, creation, and the word recreation? There's no accident there. There's no accident there. That we need to bring ourselves back into this contemplative, appreciative glance upon creation and say, Wow, it's all so good, and I'm nourished by this. It feeds me. I don't always have to work. I'm not a slave to the earth. In fact, the earth is to serve me. And as it serves me, I serve God. And this is my ultimate form of, of rest and this contemplative gaze upon God, this appreciative gaze upon God and saying, wow, that is amazing. And that's exactly kind of what God is doing here. It's this gaze and sitting back and appreciating the wonderful thing that he has done. Also on the seventh day, there is this sense that God is separating out the seventh day as as a, as a final separation. We talked about the four separation of space earlier, the four different separations beginning with light from darkness. But now God is now having a, a separation of time. He's taking one day and removing it from the the work that he had done. He is making this time consecrated. He's consecrating it. And this is now part of our week. He established the seven-day week. And this also kind of has a beautiful the sense of consecration of time. It matches up well with the the biblical creation of the temple, the building of the temple, which is some reflection of the space uh, that God created. Uh, there's kind of I, I'm not a temple expert, but there are certain patterns that are found in this account of creation that are imitated and brought into a a consecrated space. In the temple, because I believe there are there are images of vegetation, and then there's the images of, or some kind of representations of the this the star or the sky above versus the earth below, different things of that nature. I'm not a pro, but I have heard this before, and just as God has consecrated time now, ultimately with a temple, He will then consecrate space and set apart specific space as as part of an ordering towards himself, and this becomes fulfilled in the very body of Jesus Christ, his own temple. He becomes the temple. He is the word that created all things, and now the word becomes flesh, and the power and the glory and the trustworthiness and the goodness of this created word then gets maximized into the unity of created and creator, where the creator takes on a created body, and that's just hard to imagine, but it really happens. And therefore, just as time has been consecrated, so the Word of God becomes a separation of space, a consecration of space. Praise the Lord. Thanks for tuning in today. This is Father Sean from Father Sean's Podcast. The next episode, I will be talking about the part one of the created creation of human beings. I'm going to do a little little deeper dive into that sixth day, the second half of the sixth day where God creates man, where God creates humankind and kind of really unraveling what that means for all of us little ones here. Then I'll go into the following episode on Adam and Eve, et cetera, et cetera, on that second chapter. So I think we should get some good episodes just out of the first few chapters here of Genesis. And then after that, I think I'm going to cruise a fair bit quicker but I am really excited about this. So please, again, tune on in. Look forward to having you. Peace to every one of you. Say a little prayer for me, please.